Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, founder and CEO of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting, and my guest is Kelly Newman, a facilitator, emotional intelligence consultant, and executive coach with Blue EQ. Kelly, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. So say a few words about Blue EQ and about your work there. Sure. Blue EQ is an organization that helps other organizations develop their employees in the idea of emotional intelligence. We've been around for a little over five years now and have had a global presence pretty quickly in helping organizations. And so it's been a fun journey to interact with people all over the world and help them learn about this idea and develop their personal emotional intelligence to become better employees, better leaders, you know, better people. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And so now also we, we ask this question of, of all our guests just for fun. What's a fun fact about you that people won't see on your LinkedIn page? Sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's on my LinkedIn page or not. It might be, but about 15 years ago, my wife and I got involved in some humanitarian work and uh, did some several projects in South America and some other places and eventually ended up in uh, Ethiopia and Africa and long story short, we uh, we adopted a sibling group of seven children all at once and brought them home to our family. We had four children already and uh, had so much fun with that. We adopted one more later on. <laughs> so we, wow. My fun fact is uh, my wife and I, we have 12 children and uh, that was um, 2009. So it's been wow. over 12 years now that we, uh, we en- significantly enlarged our family. And uh, most of them are grown up now. My youngest mm-hmm. is, is 14 next month. But yeah, definitely a big family man. Had lots of, uh, and this idea that emotional intelligence is not just in the workplace, as we'll talk about. It's every human to human interaction we have is, it's, it, you know, so I've taught this to all my kids and, and so mm-hmm. forth. It's pretty cool stuff. Wow, that, that's incredible. So you adopted, you said seven kids all at once. That's right. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. When you brought these kids back with you, how did the kids that you already had, like, how did they react? How did that all go when you created this big family? Yeah, yeah I'll give you a little picture of that. So they didn't know anything about our language, really. That was a challenge. They didn't like our food. We finally got them interested in McDonald's fries. That was the first American food they actually liked. (laughs) So that was a challenge. Many of them were behind in school from what their age was. Just cultural things, religious things. There was just numerous challenges. And, um, you know, I'd say our kids did really quite well assimilating, helping them, teaching them, befriending them, sharing rooms with them. And just, we just mixed them right in together as a family. And, and we've been very blessed. There's sometimes there's some horror stories with adoption and, and yeah. some of the trauma that kids go through. And luckily our kids have so far <laughs> have all turned out really well and very proud of them and what they've accomplished. My Oldest daughter, for example, we she was a ninth grader when we adopted her. We put her just right in the ninth grade, didn't know anything about English. I shouldn't say that. She did understand some English. But anyway, she not only graduated high school, but she graduated college and a full-time career and engaged to be married. And anyway, it's wow. been a fun journey for sure. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Okay. I almost feel like we should just talk about that <laughs> instead of the, the rest of the stuff. That's Pretty unusual. Let's talk about emotional intelligence and just start with the basics. What is emotional intelligence? How do you define the term? Yeah, great question. 
It's, we define essentially as a person's ability, and it's a learned ability. It's, in other words, it's something you can improve and increase, but it's their, it's their ability to be able to accurately recognize their own emotions that they're having in any given moment, any given situation, and try and control those emotions, those behaviors, those attitudes they have, but also be aware of other people's emotions, be able to read people better, and then learn to influence other people. So essentially, there's this internal side. It's about our self, uh, self-awareness and self-control, but also this external side of things where we're trying to be more aware of people and read people better and learn to influence uh, other people better. And there's really a lot involved there. In fact, it's not just emotions, uh, even though it's called emotional intelligence. It's, it's really what are my behaviors and how are they affecting mm. me? How are they affecting other people? For example, let me give you an example. Integrity is an emotional intelligence dimension. Now, most people would not call that an emotion, right? There's some emotion, perhaps part of that. Stress tolerance, that, that goes more towards the emotions, your ability to manage stress. But it's certainly something we measure in a part of emotional intelligence. One of the, probably the most common things, Jeremy, we, people think of when they think of emotional intelligence is empathy. And that's certainly one major aspect of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. But how about something like conflict management? That's a part mm-hmm. of our emotional intelligence is the ability to manage conflict. And so it's not just emotions. It's really behaviors and attitudes in ourselves and in other people and being more intelligent in those situations based upon what we see in ourselves and what we see in others. In a little bit, we're going to get into some specific examples of of what that might look like. So, but first, let's talk about how emotional intelligence is related to audience engagement. And before we actually get there, how do you understand the term audience engagement? And again, this is a question we ask of all of our guests. So what does that mean to you, audience engagement? I'm curious, actually, what you mean by audience. Can I ask you that? Is audience... uh... Sure. So, for example, if you're in marketing, so you have your audience that you're trying to engage with your content. So that's what I mean by audience, just any person or group of people that you're trying to engage, trying to connect with. I see. Yeah. So maybe it's through our marketing efforts, so to speak. Yeah, so it could be th- through your marketing efforts, or it could be if you're in HR, say, you're trying to engage your internal mm-hmm. audience of employees. Yeah. But really just any group yeah. of people that you need to make an effort to get their attention and get them to okay. pay attention and respond to you. So how would I define audience engagement? Yeah. Okay. Or, or just the term engagement, if you want. What does it mean to engage yeah. another person or a group of people? Yeah. That's a good question. And it's certainly there's a lot involved there. We talk often about engagement as it relates to emotional intelligence. But just from your question off the top of my head, what I think about is a connection with that other person or group of people. And, And that connection looks many different ways. You know what I mean? It could be some common ground of something we're both interested in. It could be something that piques their interest that, that we have. But it's some connection as we're reaching out to all these groups of people saying, we have this product, we have this training, we have this wonderful solution that that helps. And you start connecting with different industries and different groups of people. And then that's what I think about when it's engagement, because 
then it comes on. They're highly interested and they want to talk. They want to try it out. They want to pilot it. They want to do all these things. So I don't know. I guess the word connection is a big one mm-hmm. that comes to mind and interest that comes to mind. I feel strongly about that, uh, Jeremy, just because we do these virtual sessions since COVID uh, has happened. I haven't been on an airplane since March 12th. And pre-COVID, I was every week flying different places and training and teaching and, and, and coaching. And so we do these virtual sessions and the ability to connect with people through the computer in a four-hour or even eight-hour training session, that's all about engagement. That's all about ensuring that they're engaged and having a good experience. That's not easy to do in the digital world. But yeah, I like that word connection. You just described Before COVID, you were constantly traveling and doing presentations in person, trainings in person. So how would you know if the people that you're training, how would you know if if they're engaged or not? What would it look like when they're engaged with what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. It's not difficult. The way we've designed our training, it's highly interactive and the people do a lot of the, the work in today's training world. A lecture series isn't the best way to train somebody. And and so participants are constantly doing things. A few ways that I find that if I know that they're highly engaged is one, the multitasking is a minimum, checking Mm. emails and and doing work on the side. All the exercises we do, are they thoroughly involved in doing those exercises? Are they taking notes or jotting down thoughts and ideas that come to their mind? Are they laughing at some of the humor or whatever that's happening that they're with me? And again, back to this idea of really connecting with people so that you can take them essentially on this journey that they're thoroughly engaged I'll never forget one of the best compliments I feel like I've received as a teacher, a facilitator. It was break time. It was two hours into the session and it was in-person session. And I'm walking to the back of the room as we're opening the doors for this 15-minute break. And I hear a woman at a table say to her friend, I feel like I've known him for a really long time. Like he just, I just feel like he's familiar. Something like that. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. what she said, but... That was like perfect because I don't want to be this foreign person that's teach. I want a connection here because when you feel that you're engaged with the content and anyway, I just like that little Mm -hmm. compliment. So there's a variety of signs, but I just feel like whatever I'm saying and doing, are they with me? You know what I mean? And all that I'm doing, it's an easy way to know how engaged they are. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Especially in person or I suppose online too, if, if you're doing it through a screen One obvious sign would be when you ask, okay, does anyone have any questions? Or if people are asking you questions, they're obviously engaged. They want to know more. And if not, Mm -hmm. then maybe they're a little bit less engaged. Or like you said, if they're doing other things, if their attention is wandering, not as engaged. And if they're just really focused and by some miracle, not looking at their phone then you've done something to engage them. You know, in the digital world, that all looks like uh, it's in the chat box, typically, that we'll see the Mm. comments or the questions, or they'll unmute to to ask a question or share a thought. And we open it up often for those kinds of things. And it is very interesting, the times when you get, you know, multiple people unmuted and you can't get to all of them versus crickets. Nobody's right. Okay, let's move on here. And and a big part is how engaged they are. There's another facet though, to this idea of engagement that we, if it's okay, I want to explore this other side of things. That's okay. So a little background, when we teach emotional intelligence, as we've just defined, really what we're teaching is how your individual emotional intelligence creates 
what we call, what psychologists call psychological safety. And psychological safety is an environment where people feel safe to speak up and share their ideas or give feedback, take risks, challenge the status quo and so forth. And the reason I bring this up is simple. This idea of someone being engaged often has to do with how psychologically safe they feel in the environment they're in to engage. Mm. And, uh, and so again, let's say it's in a classroom setting like I do quite often. If they feel safe to go, I, I really have a question about that. And they feel safe, raise their hand and ask them that question. Or I want to challenge what you've just said. I've heard that before, right? Like it's, It works differently for me. You're not going to engage and ask those questions or make those comments if you don't feel psychologically safe to do that. It's the same in the workplace. It's the same in the family. This idea of thoroughly being engaged has often a lot to do with the environment that's been created. Is it safe for them to engage. And we use some research in our training that goes right along these lines that engagement, loyalty, all kinds of things go down when the psychological safety is low. People actually intentionally decrease their work effort, their time mm-hmm. at work and so forth. And anyway, I know that's a different facet, but it's something uh-huh. we, we talk quite often about is how you're in, the reason you want to improve your emotional intelligence Yes, it's for emotional intelligence sake, but it's also for this byproduct of the environment of psychological safety it creates. And, and the research is pretty clear that that is a, a, a significant contributor to engagement, whether it's against the workplace mm. or clients or, or whatever. And so that's, mm-hmm. anyway, that's an interesting concept, this idea of psychological safety. Yeah, that is super interesting. In fact, I want to talk a little bit more about it. So are you saying that emotional intelligence creates psychological safety or is it psychological safety that that or I guess what's the relationship between the two how do you go about say as a facilitator creating an environment wherein people feel psychologically safe so that they can engage with less barriers yeah that's a good question so let's start off with what it is it's really based in your emotional intelligence which is behavioral for the most part and, and that is what helps create this environment of psychological safety. And I'll just give you a couple real easy examples. Okay. So, for example, one thing that we measure and that is a part of emotional intelligence is optimism. Well, think about it. When somebody is not optimistic, they're really pessimistic. Do you feel safe to go, well, I got another idea, for example, when they're going, nothing's going to work here. You know, you're kind of shutting down. Or how about ego management is another dimension of emotional intelligence. How safe do people feel when somebody has a really high ego and they're arrogant? Not very safe. I'm not I'm not ready to speak up and collaborate and talk when I've got this real arrogant know-it-all kind of boss. And you can, we, we measure 25 things. It could be any one of them. Let me give you one more example. Emotional mm-hmm. stability. If somebody's not emotionally stable, do you feel safe to go, I disagree with you <laughs> or whatever? It doesn't work. And so it's these behaviors of emotional intelligence that help set that environment, that's that, that the psychologically safe environment. Now, in the workshops, that's you're, you've, you've hit it, the nail on the head here, Jeremy, as far as creating a psychologically safe environment for people right then and there to interact. In fact, before we've even really taught them what it is, we're trying to create that atmosphere, that environment, both virtually or in person. And the way that looks like is a couple of ways. One is just the fact that with our emotional intelligence, 
there's no perfect number. There's no like minimum threshold. There's no, it's because, because they're looking at their scores. That's one of the first things we do is look at their scores of how they assess themselves and to quickly realize that everybody has strengths and weaknesses, higher and lower scores. And they're typically different. People aren't high in all the same areas. And so it's quickly discussed and talked about how we need everybody. You know, this idea of diversity and inclusion. We need all of the strengths from everybody. And so let's pat ourselves on the back for the strengths and learn to really leverage those together. And let's be okay with looking in the mirror at the lower scores and seeing which ones we might want to tackle and improve. And as people realize, okay, everybody's different and, and, and we really need everybody. We're not saying, hey, if you didn't get this score, you're not a good leader or something like that. You know, it's taught in a very safe way. And so it takes about a, a, really about a half an hour as people start to get very comfortable with their scores and with the idea. And, and then it's just very, again, whether it's in person or virtual, these group exercises, they really start to open up. In fact, they'll even share their assessment. Again, in person, they'll just, hey, look at mine. What do you see here? Or I love this virtually. They'll share the screen in the little breakout sessions. They'll share their screen and go, this is what I got. What do you guys think? And I love that because it's a degree of vulnerability which builds trust among humans. And, and so anyway, kind of a long answer to what you're asking, but uh, it's very important in the workshop that we're actually demonstrating how emotional intelligence creates this idea of psychological safety. You said a lot of really interesting things there. So it sounds to me like a big part of this is if you're a leader or you're you know, leading a session, you need to be self-aware enough to understand how you're coming across to other people. Maybe you tend naturally a little bit more to be a little more pessimistic. And as you just said, that's not a great tone to establish if you want to create a space where people are just throwing out ideas and, and don't want to feel like they're going to be shut down. But if you naturally tend that way, and we all have natural tendencies. So it sounds to me, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, that where emotional t intelligence comes in is becoming aware of your natural tendencies and then understanding the steps you might need to take to not completely change who you are and your personality. That might be impossible, right? Outside of a massive brain injury or something, but to yeah. be aware enough of it so that you can maybe tamp that down and perform being more optimistic or project optimism in a way because as someone who's understands emotion and emotional intelligence that's going to create a better atmosphere to help me accomplish the goal in this particular session namely getting people to talk and participate and throw out ideas am i on the right track there yeah jeremy i think that's very good said let me just add a couple of things to that you mentioned personality and uh I just remember a call i had yesterday with a client uh, he said i've got two executives and they just don't get along and they just have a there's just a personality conflict there now we've used that phrase often haven't we in the business world in the or we there's a personality conflict i can't work with that person well i would i would venture out to tell you that most of the time the vast majority of the time it's actually not a personality conflict it's actually behavioral 
In other words, if one person would adjust some of their behaviors and attitudes and the other person makes some simple adjustments, they could probably work together and get along just fine, which is what we're after in emotional intelligence is behaviors, attitudes, thought patterns, habits. And you're right. Personality is generally, most psychologists believe it's fairly fixed, at least your basic disposition, your temperament, those kind of elements of your personality are, are fairly fixed, which is who you are. And we talk about emotional intelligence is really who you can become. Mm. And so if you've ever taken a personality test before, a Myers-Briggs, a DISC, a, there's lots of them out there. Those are helpful. We don't take that and go, okay, now I'm going to work really hard and hopefully get a different result on my right. assessment here in six months or something. That's not the way that works. But emotional intelligence, that's exactly the way it works, is can you improve optimism? Absolutely. Uh, Is it maybe easier or harder for some people? Perhaps. There's a lot of factors there. But can you repeatedly uh, exercise some behaviors and certain things that actually over time improve your ability to be optimistic? Absolutely, you can. And so in our program, we measure 25 things. We actually have them zero in and focus on three that they want to improve over a 90-day period. And I'd say the vast majority of people see an improvement as we, again, raise awareness, give them some little homework assignments. They work with a partner and so forth. They see some improvement. And if they keep going, then, of course, we're on this, you know, kind of upward trajectory of, of better behaviors and better attitudes. So, again, I don't like it when people say there's a personality conflict. I said we can still fix that because it's probably behavioral. Or when somebody says something like, it's just the way that I am, deal with it. It might be the way that you are, but we can improve the way that you are and not change who you are, just improve some of the habits or the behaviors or attitudes. That's all about emotional intelligence. Okay, fascinating. So I want to switch gears a little bit because I think we've been talking about this mostly in the context of leadership and communicating with colleagues or employees or people in a classroom setting. I want to talk a little bit about marketing. For example, I read an article in uh, Forbes about how emotional intelligence can help improve marketing. And the author wrote, and I'll quote here directly, Building meaningful connection with customers and partners means you have to stay in tune with your actions, emotions, and the feelings of others, end quote. So, number one, do you agree? Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And if you do, what are some examples of how marketers can use emotional intelligence through, say, content marketing to better engage their audiences? Okay, let's start first from the perspective of the marketer, the one sending out the marketing messages. Are they aware of how they're coming off to the public, of how that message is showing up? Is their self-awareness of themselves, of their company, of their message high enough to realize, what's the effect of my message going out there? And that takes some, some good hard look at it. Sometimes in marketing, we create this amazing thing we think is amazing, and we set it out thinking it's going to change the world and don't realize that it's not landing how we thought it was landing. So that's a part of that individual or that company or that team's self-awareness. Uh, we say self-awareness, but it's not just individual, right? It could be the self-awareness mm. of the marketing team. How are we coming out? How are we coming off? How are we showing up? What is the, how is our message landing on our clients and customers? And being willing to adapt that particular message based upon what they see. If we look at it from the audience perspective and, and those messages, 
I just think feedback is is absolutely critical and we ought to do everything we can to know how our marketing is being received. And, and there's so many ways that we can do that. And then constantly adapting. The speed of business, as you know, Jeremy, is faster than perhaps ever before. COVID tried to slow that down. I think we had kind of a temporary... But just the ability to get creative and innovate based upon market conditions, based upon audience feedback, and all those different variables that are out there is a big part of emotional intelligence. And sometimes I've seen it. I've worked with companies that they get a chip on their shoulder and know we've got the best product and we're not going to modify it. We're not going to change the price. We're not going to. That's a part of your emotional intelligence that, that uh, unwilling to adapt and be flexible and modify and change and so forth. So when you read, that's a, a big deal. The other part I think of here, Jeremy, is don't we want to, in marketing, don't we want to engage people's emotions? People buy, whether it's personally or in a business, they buy often with an emotional connection. In fact, Daniel um, Kahneman, he was the Israeli-American who won the Nobel Peace Prize, went, written some books. He taught that people would rather do business with someone they like and trust, even if it costs more money or it's a little bit lower quality. That's because of this emotional connection, this trust that develops and so forth. And if you don't have that in your marketing as you're connecting you know, with your audiences, then you're, you're, you're probably the just spreading, just the shotgun approach, as they call it, right? you're just spreading it everywhere, hoping something gets somewhere instead of really connecting with people and building trust and giving them something they need. That's such a great point. And every sales book you'll read talks about that, about how, and, and it's well yeah. known, right? It's not like some amazing revelation that so much of, especially in B2B sales, right? So much of it is about relationships. And of course, buying decisions have a strong emotional component. And I think just one example is fear, especially for large purchases with a long sales cycle. If it comes down to you, whatever your role is, and you're the decision maker, and you're going to make a decision, yes or no, to spend a lot of money on a service or product, there's risk there. What if it doesn't work out? What if it turns out yeah. this was a bad choice? There's fear. It's, it might be easier just not to do it, to say no and go with the status quo. I think that's pretty well documented. And so people in sales, yeah. people in marketing need to be aware of that. And fear is one of the most primal emotions that we have. So how yeah. do you mitigate people's fear? How do you reassure them? How do you anticipate what those concerns and fears are going to be and develop relationships? And a big part of that is developing a relationship. So that they understand yeah. you as a person and not just some faceless entity that's trying to push something onto them. Yeah, that, I was just going to say the old school, that's exactly what you did do. You tried to instill more fear and, and, and right. push them into buying the bull kind of mentality. And obviously that hasn't worked for many years. And so being able to read people and know how you're coming off to them and, and read the situation and be able to adapt in real time are all so important to engaging your customer and, and making them feel safe and and so they want to do business with you. Yeah. So important. And it's fascinating to me because on the one hand, it's so basic and, and elemental, just like the way human beings connect with each other. But on the other hand, it's easier said than done, especially yeah. in a very competitive marketplace 
when you're just one person trying to get your audience's attention or one company and everyone else is too. Yeah. So how do you outcompete them? How do you outmaneuver to make those authentic connections with the people that you want to, that ultimately you do want to sell to? That's a tricky thing. So wrapping up a little bit, what are some final thoughts, some actionable insights you can leave our listeners with, stuff yeah. they can start doing right away to address their own emotional intelligence and, and how that can help them in their business? Okay. I'd recommend at least one thing. I'll give you a few, but uh, do one of these things and, and you'll, be, you'll be better. You'll be on your way to improving this idea of emotional intelligence. So one of the best things we can do is, is just trying to ascertain our own self-awareness. Where are we at in these elements of emotional intelligence? What I find is that most people don't take the time to pause their life a little bit and, and think or reflect a little bit, to be introspective. Interesting side note, as we measure these elements of emotional intelligence, we actually have pulled the data from pre-COVID numbers and during COVID numbers and how external big conditions like COVID has affected these elements of emotional intelligence. And I'll just share two of these things with you and then back to my my original point. First of all, everything went down except for one area. The biggest dimension that went down, that decreased in COVID was stress tolerance. So our ability to really positively handle the stress that's given to us. And that's probably no surprise. Yeah. The only one that went up, all the rest went down. The only one that went up was introspection. Mm. And I think that was definitely one positive thing that COVID brought us as, as life stopped for a minute of going, everything's going to change here for a minute. We started looking inward and analyzing ourselves. We need to do more of that. How are you doing in these areas? Uh, in fact, let me just tell you the five skills of emotional intelligence. How do you do in these areas? The first one we call self-regard. It's, our, it's really how we feel about ourselves. It's things like our optimism, our self-respect, our confidence, our motivation, our independence. The next skill is self-awareness. We've talked a lot about that today. I'll just give you a couple of those dimensions. It's things like our openness, our introspection. Then we have self-control. That's typically the lowest skill that people score on. That's things like our impulse control, our stress tolerance, our emotional stability. And then we have social perception. Here we go to the external sides, the social side. And this is where we get empathy or mindfulness. And then finally, social effectiveness. How do you do in things like your ability to influence or conflict management or relationship management? And so it's worth, I highly suggest you take our assessment. I think that's the best way, but but just be able to manage, well, how do I do in some of these areas of emotional intelligence? And what are some of my strengths? Maybe what are some of my weaknesses or, or lower areas? And uh, how might I improve some of those things? So taking the time to really self-assess, and that's a big part of what we do, but, but just taking some time to do that and think about what this is and where am I at realistically, maybe even asking a family member or friend what they think of where you're at. That, those can all help. Again, the easiest way is, is to take this assessment and you get the scores and, and really look in the mirror, so to speak. Now, you mentioned what, what else can we do? One of the biggest areas people struggle in is this idea of stress tolerance. And those listening today, I think you can probably identify that that's a big one. It's a problem. In fact, let me just read that definition. It's positively dealing with stressful or difficult situations. It's not becoming overwhelmed 
by adverse or demanding circumstances. It's the capacity to endure hardship or pain. It's performing in stressful situations with minimal anxiety. How do we improve that? Because that is, it was severely affected and is still being affected by the world conditions of COVID and so forth. Let me give you a few ways, things that we don't do very well. Things like self-care, taking care of ourselves, getting plenty of sleep and exercise, nutrition, disconnecting the technology that's causing us to be stressed out. We wake up, we look at our emails, almost the very first thing we do. And, and before we go to bed, we're looking at the emails or the news or the, and we're constantly connected. It's giving us stress. Lots of people miss their vacations in COVID and we didn't get that vacation. We need to do something to disconnect hobbies, help. And then a big one is learning to say no, be okay with going, I can't, I just can't add any more to my plate. And we feel like at least in the workplace that we look, we look weak. We'll be on some list somewhere that we, you know, they're not going to be able to be promoted now because they can't handle. Well, that's just not really real reality. We need to be able to be okay saying, I just can't really put that on my plate right now, at least effectively and get that done. Anyway, there's many elements there, but it's one area where I take a good hard look at and go, okay, definitely with world conditions and the way my business has had to adapt in COVID, the stress is, my ability to manage and tolerate stress has not been good. And uh, I need to do some of these things to improve that because it's there's a huge adverse effect when, right, when we don't manage our stress. Wow. There's so much there that you just said. I have questions, there but is. we're already, we're like 40 minutes into this. So, so I think at this point, I just have to thank you for a really cool conversation, a very engaging conversation. Thank you, Jeremy. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.